My name is Aiden, and I'm an associate pastor of Outreach, and um, happy to kick off the next section in uh, our series on the Old Testament. We've been going through the books of the Old Testament. We started in Genesis a while back, and uh, I don't remember when that was, but it was months ago. And then most recently, we've gone through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now today is the first day where we're starting the book of Deuteronomy. Hey! <laughs> Mild cheer. Like, what are we doing? What's going on? So today, uh, because we're, we're, we're catching things up, uh, we're going to do a quick review and uh, some audience uh, congregational participation. So when I say a name of, the bo- of a book of the Bible from the Pentateuch, that's the first five books written by Moses, wh- I want you to tell me what's the very first word that comes to mind. And then those of you who are, are brave, uh, or if you're not brave, if you just want to shout it out, just shout out what is the word that comes to mind. So the very first book of the Bible, what word comes to mind when I say Genesis. Creation, the beginning, right? In the beginning, that's the very first words. Anything else? What else happened in Genesis? Yeah, that's like the first chapter, right? <laughs> it has like 50-some chapters. There's more, right? What else? Sin. What? Sin. Sin! Chapter 3. We're getting further, right? We're not going to do the whole book. But what else happened? There's other things. That what does God do in Genesis? Flood. Promise, I heard. Yeah, there's the promise of redemption in Christ. There's the promise of through Abraham, a covenant. There's all these covenants with, with Noah and covenant with Abraham. Um, there's the, so God choosing a family for himself to be the blessing through which he would bless all nations. All began there in Genesis, and it follows that story from generation to generation, right? Until we find them, uh, the Israelites in Egypt at the end of Genesis. That's their salvation. They were saved through the provision in Egypt. Okay, Genesis, first book. Second book, Exodus. First word comes to mind. What is it? Moses, I heard. I heard a bunch of stuff in there. It's all at the same time. I couldn't tell what you said. But I heard Moses and I heard deliverance. Yeah, what else? Somebody else? Tabernacle. Yeah, Exodus. There's instructions for the tabernacle. Wandering, Yeah, they go out and they're in the desert. Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah. So uh, from the end of Genesis, the Israelites grow in uh, Egypt. There's a new pharaoh that comes along, uh, enslaves all the people. And then finally, then that's when God chooses Moses to set the people free, right? Through the plagues, through hardening the heart of Pharaoh. They're set free so that, Moses says, so that we can go and worship our Lord on the mountain. All right, so then uh, after the final plague, uh, the, you know, the, the blood over the, uh, on the Passover, the blood over their doors, the angel of, of the Lord passes them over and doesn't bring death to their firstborns. And Pharaoh uh, says, okay, finally, sends them out, comes chasing after them. They're delivered again through, through the waters of the Red Sea. And then in Exodus, they're given uh, the instructions on, on uh, how to build the temple. End of Exodus... They come to the end and they build the temple and the glory of God fills the temple. But it says, but Moses, he couldn't go in. He was separated from God. And so we get to the book of Leviticus. So what's Leviticus all about? Laws. What else? The priesthood. Blood. Yeah. Uh, If you're familiar with the Bible Project, guys, they call it the, the priestly tech manual. Like... 
how do you do all these sacrifices and slaughtering and what do you, what do, you do with the liver and what do you do with the kidneys? It's kind of, it's all in there, right? Um, but really, what's, what's the, the main point of it is, is as we, we talked about it, is like, how, how do we and how do the Israelites, actually in their context, how do they, as a, as a sinful people, how do they approach the holiness of God? Like I said, Moses was separated. How was is, how is Aaron able to enter into the tent of meeting? How was Moses able to enter into the presence of God? Well, it's through, through the law that was given it was through the, the, in the Day of Atonement was the centerpiece that we talked about of the law and how uh, through, through, that, uh, through that ritual, how the, the, the sins were wiped away from the tabernacle, from their community, almost like a cleansing in order to approach a holy God. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then after Leviticus is the book of Numbers. So what happens in Numbers? Wilderness! Someone in the first service said, lists. You would be really right to say lists. There's a lot of lists of people in numbers, right? Ah, but in the wilderness. Any other words come to mind for numbers? Tribes. tribes. You know, the tribes of Israel. Yeah, so forgiveness. I think I heard someone say, yeah, so in the book of numbers. So at, at the end of, uh, in, in Exodus, there they... they when they sent the, the spies into um, the promised land, you know how 10 came back with the report, like there's giants in the land and only two, Caleb and Joshua said, hey, God is with us. Let's go. They were like, they're ready to, you know, follow the lead of God. And, uh, but the 10, they won out. They convinced the people to say, this is not a good thing. And so they, they rebelled. And so there was 40 years of wandering, which is this wilderness that they wandered through, which leads us to where we are today. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. And, and so here's, here's the picture. We've got Deuteronomy uh, is, they, they have now wandered in through the desert to where they are right across the Jordan River. The Jordan River is the, the uh, border, what is that, the eastern border of the promised land, and they're about to cross over into the land. It's been 40 years of wandering because God said, like, that generation was to die out in the wilderness. They weren't faithful to him, and so he said, you, you can basically, you've chosen to reject me, and so I'll, I'll, I'll wait until the next generation. And so here we are, this, have this next generation, people who were, some may have been children when they first left Egypt, some, many, I'm guessing, were born all along the way. So all they knew, either they, they knew their lives as, as slaves, as children, or they knew lives as nomads wandering around the desert. And this is all they knew. And so they're, they're getting ready to cross into God and to receive the promise of God's promised land. And so um, if there's one word that we'd have for, for Deuteronomy, that word would be legacy. I say Legacy? Legacy, yeah. So, because um, what this is all about is like this transfer from the old generation to the new generation. And Moses is the bridge. Moses is there. So this book is all about, uh, it's a collection. Actually, the very first sermons in the Bible are found in Deuteronomy. And uh, that's the, the very first part, are collections of Moses' sermons. Chapter is a, a kind of brief outline of what happens in the book. Uh, chapters 1 to 11, Moses has sermons. He recounts the past in those sermons. He's, he's telling them the history of, of who they were, who these people are. He actually speaks to them, uh, this new generation, as if they experience all these things of their, their forefathers in the wilderness and their wanderings. 
And then we'll uh, focus on the middle point of that today uh, in chapter 6 is where we'll be. And then it transitions into chapters 12 to 26 where it's a re-giving of the law. So these people, they, most of them, like I said, were either kids or they weren't around at the, uh, when the law was given the first time around. That they, they, and so Moses is retelling the law to a new generation. So that's what this idea of legacy, of passing on to the next generation. And uh, if you've read through it, if you're reading through the Bible and uh, with us, we have a read through the Bible. I think there might be some bookmarks out there. Uh, when you get to the section in the middle of Deuteronomy, you might say, hey, some of this sounds kind of familiar. Well, it is because you just read it. They're copied, some of them directly from uh, Exodus, some from Numbers, some from Leviticus. It's all copied over again. But if you look really closely, it's not an identical uh, law from what was given before. As the people are moving into the land, uh, they're, they're changing. They're tran- being transformed from a nomadic people to a people who are settled. And so the context of the laws, the things that are now important, there's a couple things that change. There's a couple new laws that are added in in that section. So it's a, it's a re-giving of the law to a new generation. And then the final part is uh, chapters 27 to 34. It's uh, Moses' final speeches. There's a lot of blessings and cursings. That's the part where it says, choose, choose this. I set heaven and earth before you as witnesses today. Choose life that you and your children might live. It's a, this idea of every generation has a choice set before them. Are they going to choose God's way? Are they, are they not? They have the same decision to make as their parents did. And Moses is like, come on, guys, you choose life. And then, spoiler alert, Moses dies, all right? If you didn't get there yet, sorry. Um, but end of the book, Moses dies. And it's really interesting to see the, the parallels between Genesis and Deuteronomy. They're, they're pairs at the end of the first book and the last book pair each other. Actually, the second and the fourth, that uh, Exodus and Numbers, they pair each other with wandering in the desert. Leviticus is the centerpiece. But even like in, in Genesis, at the end of Genesis, there's 12 blessings on the 12 tribes of Israel, and then Jacob dies. Um, and then in Deuteronomy, there's Moses blessing the 12 tribes, and, and then he dies. So very symmetrical patterns uh, that are in these books of the Bible. Um, again, I've learned all this. I've been following along with the Bible Project. All last year, they did a series on the Pentateuch, and they went slowly through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So if you've enjoyed this, and if you want to dig deeper, uh, yeah, check out there. They have an app. They have podcasts on every single book of the, the Pentateuch. They've got like 10 to 12 episodes where they just like dive in deep to cycles that you can find in the literature and uh, words that are repeated over and over again as the main themes um, uh, of these books. So it's an amazing resource for free. Uh, So I let you explore that at your will. So today, um, we are looking at what what is this legacy that Moses is leaving? And um, I, I have often wondered for myself, you know, what, what is my legacy and maybe you've done this the same. Actually, not too long ago, a friend of mine was like, just asking, was like, do you ever like wonder, like, what's the point of your life? I was like, yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> Anybody else wonder, like, you know, uh, do I wonder, like, does my life have a, a purpose? I was like, yeah, I think it does. But what is that purpose? What's, what's, the, what's the point? What is the, the legacy that I'm leaving? And then I start to wonder, too, like, what is the legacy that I'm receiving? 
And uh, if I stop to think about it, you know, I, I, can, I can pinpoint points of my life where that's been revealed to me of like, oh, how I've received things from others. And other times when I've passed things on to others. Uh, one example, you know, sometimes I think we don't realize the impact that others have on our lives. One example, uh, my dad was a pastor, and uh, so I grew up listening to his sermons um, my whole life, going to church. He was, he was the pastor and just listened sometimes, multiple times a day, because he, he, he would go from one church to another church, three churches on a Sunday for most of his career. And um, I didn't go all the time to all the churches, but sometimes we got drug around. Um, and then one Sunday, my high school English teacher showed up at church, uh, and she, she was just visiting, and then at the end of the service, she kind of came up to me and smiled, and she said, oh, I see, where, uh, I see where you get it. I was like, get what? What are you talking about? Your writing style. It's like after hearing my dad preach, she, she must have heard something in, in what I wrote uh, she heard in him. So it's like, oh, I had no idea that there's anything that in me that resembled what my dad said, but she, she saw it. So his legacy being passed on to me, even probably in what you hear today, uh, and how I speak, uh, all of those things. Other times, it's much more obvious the legacy uh, that we receive from others. If anyone has received uh, a gift of uh, any substantial amount, it's the legacy that someone has, or if you've been in a hard place and someone has helped you out of that place, whether it's emotionally or, uh, again, like a, a financial gift. I think about when we were in Williamsport, uh, at the church plant up there, one of the, the friends of the pastor who started it, uh, a longtime just benefactor in the community, well, when he died, he gave a sizable gift to our church. And um, we were maybe a church of 30 or 40 people and uh, had barely enough resources to support the, the lead pastor. And then all of a sudden, there's, there's this gift uh, that was given to the church. And uh, the leadership in the church said, hey, what we want to do is we want to invest in people. And so they hired two full-time staff members. And I was one of those staff members that was hired by his gift. So my life was altered. Uh, we've been talking about, you know, possibly going into ministry further down the road, and then, uh, you know, the conversation came and said, hey, we actually would like to hire you this summer. I was like, okay. The course of my life was changed by the generosity of this man. Now, they also said, hey, we only have enough money to pay you for one year, so uh, he said, your job is to connect people to the community, and uh, if you do your job well, that was the joke, if you do your job well, you can keep your job. So, um, and again, not that uh, it was me. I think it was Jesus drawing people to his church, and then that was our, our role there, was just welcoming people as they came in, uh, connecting them to the church body. But my life was changed by his generosity forever. Um, so, legacy. So, it's kind of a, a haunting question if you think about it. Like, wh what impact am I having? Am I being intentional about the impact. And that's the, I don't know if we put it up on the screen yet, but my, my kind of short definition of legacy is like a long-lasting impact. I think of what Moses is doing here in Deuteronomy and like speaking to this next generation, looking for a long-lasting impact in their hearts and their lives. And so the truth is, is that we all leave a legacy of one sort or another. Whether you're intentional about it or not, your life is making an impact on those around you. And the question is, like, what will that impact be? So today, we are looking at Deuteronomy 6, 
Uh, so if your Bible, you can turn to there. We're going to be hanging out right in the first part of that chapter. And this is uh, one of Moses's greatest legacies of, of what he wrote uh, in Deuteronomy is this, uh, it's called the Shema, is these verses that we'll be reading. Uh, it's a Hebrew prayer. The Shema is the word for hear, which is the very first word of uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, where it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one to hear. But uh, in Hebrew, this word Shema doesn't just mean to hear. There's also this connotation of that we're going to hear and respond. And isn't that really what what all of us do? Like, when we want someone to listen to us, we we don't just want them to listen and just be like, okay, I heard you. And I think about, like, any relationship that I have with anyone, you know, whether it's my friend and if they're, like, staring at their phone and I'm talking to them, and they're like, did you hear anything I said? Or more likely, if it's my wife— and I'm playing guitar, and she's like, did you hear anything that I said? I think I have. I was like, I'll say, oh, yeah. She's like, what did I say? Why aren't you answering me? Well, maybe I heard the words, but I certainly wasn't responding. And the same is true with, like, our, our, our kids as well. You know, how often do we say, hey, guys, it's time to go, and they just, they don't respond. We're like, just an acknowledgement is all we want is me to say, okay, I hear you. Some sort of response. And God's the same way. He says, hear, listen. Listen to this, Israel. Listen to this and respond to this truth of who you are. So this is verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So he's saying, listen and respond to this truth that our God alone is the one true God. So what's Moses doing here in saying this and giving these words to the Hebrew people, to the Israelites? He's saying, this, this is the legacy I want to leave to you. And what is it? It is a legacy of faith. He's leaving a legacy of faith. You remember these people that, that they're, they're, they're encamped uh, right across the Jordan River, from the promised land, but the promised land is filled with all sorts of people, with all sorts of different religions, different altars to different gods. And, G- and um, Moses is saying, no, 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 remember, listen, this is your identity, this is who you are. And in Genesis where he said that I am your God and you will be my people. And so he's saying, God alone is your God. As you move into this area, don't forget who you are. Calling to hear and respond to the fact that their God is different. And this is the first part of this prayer, the Shema. Because I think this is the most, por- most important thing that, that he can pass on to the Israelites, is the identity of their God. And if they don't pick up on this, and make the faith of their forefathers their own, then, then Moses has failed. And, and I think it's the same with us. You know, if we're looking at legacy and what legacy we leave, what long-lasting impact, what legacy have we received, and what is it that we have that we actually can pass on? Like I said, the, the, the gentleman gave a gift to the church and it kicked things off and it started and it left a legacy, but you know, that money is all gone now. It's been used. 
Any, any material things that we might leave or any uh, institutions or things of, that leave impact, that they're only temporary for this life. But faith is eternal. And so this is our greatest legacy, that our faith is the greatest thing that we can pass on to the next generation, that we can pass on to someone else. And I think this is a great motivation for being engaged in next generation ministries. Pastor Aaron mentioned, and we've had it out there for the last couple weeks, but things like the Atlanta mission trip that you can sign up out there. This is a way to engage in legacy of faith. You know, there's 20-some people that are going down there, but, but everyone can be involved in this legacy of sharing our faith with those in Atlanta through your prayers, through signing up to give financially. There's a way of being a part of this legacy. I think of the other next generation ministries like Route 252 and the kids ministry, or whether you're there uh, in person on Sunday or whether you're praying for those kids, there, there's a way of like passing on this legacy of faith. I think a sports camp this summer, what an awesome opportunity to pass on a legacy of faith and the community comes together and I love the intentionality of Bill and the team that they, they talk to every single kid. So they present the gospel and then the, the huddle coaches will, will have one-on-one -on -one time with each of the kids to see if God's doing something in their lives, to give them an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Like what an awesome way to be involved in legacy, giving a legacy of faith. If you haven't, you can sign up, volunteer, help out with sports camp. So... Legacy of faith. So, next verse. He continues on. And he says this. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And Moses is instructing the Israelites in the most important thing for them to do. So you have this faith and you believe that God is one God, but then he says that's not enough, then it's to love God with all that they are. And so this is a legacy then of focus. Like what are they, where is their focus? Where is their affection? What is that, what is it focused on? And it's to be focused on God. And to go through each of those things that he mentions in there, like all of your heart. And then uh, it's the idea of all of your emotions, all of your thoughts, that all of that would be directed as love towards God. All of your soul, and the original Hebrew word there is nefesh, which means like whenever, whenever God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and gave him life, it says then he, that is that word, like he, he had life within him. He had nefesh. It's like this, this soul within him. That's what, what animates you. That's like everything that you are, that you're using that and you're loving God with all that you are. And then the last one that's translated, all of your strength, the Hebrew word is ma'od, which the, the guys at the Bible Project, they, they translate that as all of your muchness. Like muchness? Like, yeah, like all of like everything that you are. So it includes your strength because that's how you would, that's how you would make a living for yourself is out of your strength, out of what you're able to do. But it is much more, your muchness is everything. It would be like your house, your belongings, that everything that you have, everything that you own, everything that you do, all of it, that you would use it and that you would glorify God and that you would love him. The sense of like 
everything that you are, our total being, to be captured by the beauty and the glory of God, that everything about us would respond to this love for him. And if it isn't enough here, then Jesus affirms this as the greatest commandment when he's asked in Matthew 22. He says, teacher, tell me, what's the greatest commandment? And this is, he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5. He says, the greatest commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And Pastor Aaron shared uh, when we were doing a, a talk through on some, the sermon for this week, he, he shared about a, a presenter that he heard he said the first thing they did when they came up, he said, you know, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And he, and he just asked the, the gathered pastors there, he's like, how are you doing with that? And it just kind of hits. You take a moment and think, how am I doing with that? What does it really look like to love God? What does it look like to love God? a being that is so completely different from who we are. To love something that is, as the Bible says, that God is, is invisible. You say that God is spirit. How, what is that like? What, what, how do you do that? And that's part of what we do here each Sunday in, in our worship, in our praise, in, in, the, in the words of our mouths. There's a... Um, so there's the glory of who God is. And that's part of his, uh, it, it's not a part of who God is, but it's like the glory is like what emanates off of God. It's like the, described as light, this intrinsic glory of God that we would respond to. It's kind of, some people describe it as like the sun, like the, the, the sun gives off light. The light is not the sun, but it's like that's the glory of the sun. It's what is felt. It's what's radiated out from it. It's the same way in God. Like, what is God? God is not his glory, but it's, this, it's what radiates and comes forth from him. We can't add to that. He's perfect. But what we can do is we can take and we can ascribe to God glory. Right? We can declare who he is. We can speak truths about who he is. We sing. That's what we do when we're singing. That's one way of loving God. Declaring who he is. Some say magnifying him. How do we, we, how do we make God bigger when he's like, no, we magnify him in the view of others so that when others through our lives encounter us, they're like, wow, okay, God is something bigger than what I thought. Thomas Watson, uh, uh, a Puritan preacher, uh, put it this way and how uh, the glory that we give to God. This is what he wrote about it. He says, the glory we give God is nothing else but our lifting up his name in the world and magnifying him in the eyes of others. I think this is what we do when we love, when we love something, when we love, like think of something that you love. You can't stop talking about it, Right? You think about a relationship. When that relationship was new, it's like they're, they're constantly like you're, you're thinking about the person. You're talking about the person. This is what God wants, our total love and devotion to him because he's that good. So declaring his goodness, our words, and giving him our undivided attention 
is, is a second way of loving God. Like how often do we just focus on him? For some of us, that's a regular habit in our, in our morning patterns, in our, in our devotion to take time and stop and just focus on God. It's a way of loving God, focusing our thoughts and our attentions on him. So we've got thoughts, we've got words, and we've got actions. And this is what the next verse is all about and how, how we can love God, which says this, verse 6, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And I think it's really important that we get this straight, that, that the loving part comes first, and then out of that love, our hearts respond in obedience to the commandments that he gives. You know, I think about, um, gave this example earlier today in the first service about my kids, right? I want them to hear, right, and respond to what I say. One thing that seems to be a problem in our house is our kids putting their laundry away. Maybe it seems useless to them. It's like, I can get it off the floor just as easily as I can get it out of the drawer. I can, I can get it out of the basket. As we, why, why put it away? But still, my heart is like, I ask them, my, my command would be, hey, guys, put your laundry away. If they're going to respond in love, what are they going to do? They're going to do it. They're going to put their laundry away. I mean, it's a silly example, but how frustrated do I get sometimes and my kids and they're just like not listening. It's like, I thought I told you to put your laundry away like two days ago and yesterday and today and it's still on your floor. Until I stop for a minute and I think about what God has told me or what he's revealed through his scriptures and he's probably doing the same thing. Like, like hey, Aiden, is your father in heaven? Did I not tell you yesterday this? Did I not tell you years ago? And are you still in the same place you were before? And I wonder if his question would not be, why don't you do what I say? But his question would be with probably great love in his eyes. And he would, he would look at me and he would say, don't you love me? Do you love me? The same question he asked Peter on the beach. Do you love me? And what can I say? I'm just like my kids. Although I do put my laundry away. So... <laughs> Most of the time. But how much has God spoken to us or said and we like hold back? And, and I wonder if it's that we love ourselves more than what we love him. And so this is a, a, the last legacy. So we had a legacy of faith, a legacy of... Uh-oh, forgot the second one. Focus. And a legacy, this last one is a legacy of flexibility, right? In me being willing to bend my will to the will of the Father. You know, I think this is, what is, what is true love? But to say, yes, Lord, you know what's best. To love the Lord with all that I am. And it doesn't stop there, right? So Jesus said, you know, we we're talking about Jesus in Matthew 22. This is the, the greatest commandment. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he said the second one is much like it, which is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. 
He says, in these two commandments, that's all of the law and the prophets. And so even if you look at the, at the uh, you know, the Ten Commandments, loving God, the first half of it, loving others well is the second half of it. Don't murder, that's not loving well. Don't steal, that's not loving others well. Honor your father and mother, that's loving others well. So, flexibility and bending to his will, and then I think there's this flexibility of just being willing to love others well. So, um, and there's opportunities to do that all around us, whether it's in your neighborhood, there's people that God puts in your path, whether it's here in the church, there's people around you right now, these are your, like, your neighbors sitting in the chairs. There are an opportunity today to even love that person well. In your workplace, if you're working in school, there's opportunities all around us to be people who love others well. I think of one opportunity that's kind of close to my heart uh, is an Afghan family that we've been supporting for the past year. You know, I think people would, would assume, they don't hear a lot, I don't, we don't share a lot of the details of their lives, but people would say, oh, it must be going pretty well. And like, actually, it's not. It's a really hard situation, to be honest. You know, and if you can even just imagine a little bit of yourself, like if you were picked up from here, dropped off in the middle of a Middle, middle Eastern country where you didn't speak the language, where you didn't, have access to the food you normally had or the clothing you normally had or the types of homes you normally had or the vehicles you normally had and you said, okay, start a new life. That's hard. And they're struggling. I know we've mentioned Mary Ellen and she's been here. It's like, Aiden, like, where is the church? She's in it like up to her eyeballs, she would say, and there's others that are helping out with the kids and transportation and uh, all sorts of, you know, a few others, but it's just like, where is the, this is an opportunity for us to be the church, to, to talk with people of a, of a different faith. They're, they're um, Muslim, and, but they, they believe in God, so there's this easy connection to talk about the things of God because they, they agree that God exists. They just don't know Jesus. So Mary Ellen, I want to tell you, someone came up after the first service and I said, I'm in, and she wants to help. So we got one. But maybe there's somebody else here today that would say like, okay, uh, I'm willing to flex and say I've got an hour to spend with a 28-year mom of four who's just trying to figure out how to live life in the United States. Or a guy who would say, you know what, I could spend an hour talking with a a 27-year-old dude who's trying to figure himself. He doesn't, like, who is he? And much less to try to be a parent to these kids, and it's, it's hard. Maybe God's pulling on your heart to say that, okay, that's me. If it is, come talk to me. We, we would love to connect, that we could be the church. And, and, you know, they have needs, but really what they need is community, a friend, someone to talk with them, to, to teach English, Many opportunities, and they're not the only refugees here in our community, but they're one, and they're one we have a relationship with. So continuing on, legacy of flexibility. 
Moses goes on and says, like, okay, where, where do we do this? How do we do this? He says, these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Verse 7, he says, impress them on your children. So we're talking about there was the previous generation that had the law originally. Now there's this new generation he's talking to. And he says, yeah, and you've got to pass it on to the next generation. Legacy. He says, how do you do that? Well, talk about them when you sit at home. Talk about these commandments when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And the, so the Shema, this prayer, this Hebrew prayer, the Shema, it's probably the most prayed Hebrew prayer. They pray it every day in the morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And they pray it again at night before they go to bed. This is often the prayer that's the last thing on the lips of, uh, of the Hebrew people. Like when, they are, when they're on their deathbed and they're dying, what are they? they say the Shema. This is the affirmation of their identity, of who they are and their devotion to God. This is Moses' legacy. And then verse 8, it goes on from there. Not only like do you just in the everyday rhythms of your life, are you, are you talking about this law? Are you sharing your faith with, with your children? But when you go, anywhere you go, whatever you do, this is just a normal everyday thing. He says, he says tie them as symbols on your hands, Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This takes it to the next level, right? I don't see anybody walking around with like scriptures tied to their hands. This is like radical devotion to God. Like I am not going to forget to love the Lord my God because it's going to be right here. And they would literally do that. They would tie it on their hands. They would tie it around their head. Some would tie it on their arm right here as a symbol of their ma'od, their muchness, the symbol of their strength right next to their heart, a symbol of loving the Lord with all their hearts, tying on their head with all of their thoughts would be dedicated to God. There's something to learn from the Israelites of their dedication to the Lord, to reminding themselves of these truths. So, to wrap up, um, I actually received an email this, this past week. Because um, again, often we, we don't really know what our legacy, I've been kind of thinking about that. Like what, do we always know what our legacy is? And we don't always know what our legacy is and what, what, that, what that impact is. And I've actually been thinking through John 15, five, which says, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and I in you, and then you will bear much fruit. So this is that same of like loving God. Jesus, or Jesus says the same thing, John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. That idea of like, it's not about like, I'm gonna make my imprint on the world. It's about being tethered to Christ. It's about remaining in him. It's about loving God. Our greatest, our greatest legacy is our faith. And how do we leave it? Through focusing on God and being flexible to his plans, submitting to him. So I uh, mentioned I have an, an email that I received this week on an interesting timing of it and thinking about legacy. Uh, so I used to be an elementary music teacher at Easterly Parkway in Coral Street, and um, one of my former students found me via email, and uh, she wrote this. She said, hi, Mr. Wirtz. 
I used to get called Mr. Wirtz every day. <laughs> that hasn't happened very often. Uh, so he says, hi, Mr. Wirtz. He says, I went to Easterly Parkway from 2010 to 2015 and had you as a music teacher for most of that time. He said, I'm graduating from high school in two weeks and I've been reflecting on all of the people who have been so instrumental to my learning and love for the past 13 years and thought of you. It's like, oh, that's so sweet. All right. She said, I just wanted to reach out and say thank you so much for sharing your passion for music with me at such a formative time. I have many fond memories from elementary school music classes and have since learned how to play violin and trombone and master singers at the high school. Music has changed my life in so many ways. Thank you again so, so much. So I don't, I don't read that to say, hey, you know, I did this great thing, but the reality of the situation and what she didn't know in that time is like, when I was teaching her, we were living in Williamsport and I was commuting back to State College every day, an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Uh, my wife was pregnant with our first child and uh, then he was born. Well, before he was born, we were always like, okay, uh, what are we gonna do if you're at school and I, like, I go into labor? I'm like, oh, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> She's like, oh, that's good enough. <laughs> what do you mean? We'll figure it out. I'm be the one having a baby here, and where are you going to be? So anyway, it all worked out. Actually, I think, I, I think we, I don't know. We, yeah, I, I forget how it all worked out, but I was home. We had the baby. He's here. He's 11 now. Um, but this is all going on in that time when I, I, I was teaching Mary, and when, the student, and whenever she wrote, I'm like, who, who was that again? And it took a couple minutes. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember but there were so many other things. I think in that time, I was just like, I was actually wrestling with, God, I thought you called us to be in Williamsport, but here I'm still back in State College teaching, and this is not what I thought the plan was until finally he kind of worked in my heart and said, you know what, Aiden, I've got some things for you to do there. You may not know what they are, but I've got some things for you to do. And I think this might have been one of those things. So if it were up to me, I probably wouldn't have been there. But yet God uses our, our obedience to him, our faithfulness in showing up in ways that we may never know. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you're thinking of the legacy you've received and think maybe, maybe it's for you to just send a message of gratitude, to say thank you to someone. There's a bright spot in my week to get this for sure. Um, you can do the same to bless someone else. Maybe God is here uh, just calling you to focus on like what what. What is the legacy that he's calling you to leave? Have you received that legacy of faith from others? Do you have that to pass on? Are you able to, you know, are, is your focus on him? Are you flexing to his will for your life? So I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up and um, close our time here this morning with prayer. So would you pray with me? Jesus, We thank you for the legacy that we have through your word. God, I also think about the way that you have chosen the church to be your method of passing this on from generation to generation to generation. And God, I pray may we be a faith-filled and faithful generation. focusing on you, loving you with all that we are, allowing you to speak into our hearts and responding. 
what it is that you would call us to do. So God, I pray um, that you would open our eyes to see the ways that you're moving around us, that you would, um, that we would be a legacy-leaving people, no matter what age we are. You know, I've heard people say, if you're still breathing, he's still got something for you. We still have a legacy to pass on. May we be faithful to see that, to love you with all that we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.